23 years ago, a movie came out starring Sandra Bullock called Miss Congeniality. And she is an FBI agent who has to go undercover as a pageant contestant. And so they get to that point in the pageant and there's that sort of question and answer kind of time for the pageant contestants. And there's that one that uh, where they just ask one of the contestants, describe your perfect date. And she says, you know, that's a tough one. I'd have to say April 25th because it's not too hot, not too cold. All you need is a light jacket. Really? Nothing? Maybe, maybe you've seen it so many times. It's no longer humorous, right? My wife posts this every year on April 25th. And then uh, one of the other po- popular uh, questions for pageant contestants is what is the one thing that our society needs right now more than ever? And so, true to form, uh, well, that would, that's easy, world peace. The other one says world peace. And then our FBI agent says harsher punishment for parole violators, Stan. And uh, she looks at the audience, and uh, boy, they kind of look like you all do. They, they were silent and stunned. And, uh, and so she looks at them, and she's, she's like, uh, well, okay, and world peace. Uh, throwing that in there for good for good form and good measure. And so we're talking today as we begin a new series. There we go. Uh, called Fresh Air. And we're going to be focusing in this series on the gospel. And we're going to be focusing on what does the gospel do for us. And so uh, this morning, I want us to turn to uh, John chapter 14 as we begin looking at this. In verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Now the setting here is the upper room. And it's at that event that we know as the Last Supper. 
And in John's Gospel, this, this conversation takes place right after Jesus has washed his disciples' feet. And so, Jesus is telling them, you know, don't let your hearts be troubled. He's uh, warning them, preparing them emotionally fact that he is going to be leaving them. And so, Jesus um, gets these responses. First from Thomas, no, we don't know the way where you're going. And Jesus makes this wonderful promise to us, doesn't he? When he says, you know, I'm going to prepare a place and, uh, you know, if it weren't so, I wouldn't be telling you this. And then when he says, and, and then I'm going to come back for you. And then I think about, has Jesus, did Jesus ever fail to follow through on anything he ever promised? What a beautiful promise that is to us. What hope that gives us. That he's preparing a place for us and he's going to come back. And then Philip makes this, you know, you see the confusion in the room because first Thomas says, actually we don't know where you're going. And then Philip chimes in now and says, and says well, if you'll just show us the Father, that would be enough. And so Jesus is trying to help him understand. You know, saying, hey Philip, after all this time that you've been with me, haven't you seen enough? Like, come on, man. You know, uh, don't you see the Father working in me? And so when people wonder, well, we see Jesus, but what is God really like? Well, if we want to know what God's like, all we have to do is look at Jesus. And that's what Jesus is telling them. He's saying, I am am the embodiment of the Father. I am God in the flesh. He is in me and I am in him. And, you know, you've seen his work through the work that I have been doing during this time. And so we look further on now into uh, John 14. And we skip down to verses 25 through 28. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. So Jesus has told them, you know, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, he says. Now, I don't think Jesus is confused when he says these words. Jesus is saying, in that earlier question from Thomas, hey, we don't know the way. He's telling you, Thomas, I'm the way. You want to know how to get to the Father? It's through me. 
And then some people may say, wow, there's only one way. Yeah, there's only one way. And that is through Christ Jesus. Now, when we think about this, how many of us as parents know that our kids aren't perfect? But it's this idea that, hey, if you reject my kid, you might as well be rejecting me, right? I mean, it's almost like, it's almost like those are fighting words for us. You know, we love our children, we're protective of our children, and to reject my child means that, you know, we, we're going to have a problem. And so, God is no different here. God is saying, here is my son. I have given him as a sacrifice to all of humanity. All of your sins wiped away once and for all. If you merely accept him as my son, and if you merely believe that he is my son, and so to reject him is to reject God himself. And so Jesus now then says, but when I go away from you, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you peace. That the advocate is going to come. Now, I've said this before, it's still true for me. I love the idea of having an advocate. I love the idea that God has given us someone who will stand by us and stand up for us. Because an advocate is someone who speaks on your behalf. An advocate is someone who defends you. And the idea that God is sending His Spirit and that His Spirit is going to be someone who walks by us, dwells within us, but then walks, walks by us, walks with us, works within us. That God's Spirit is going to give us this peace. Why does He give us this peace? Because He is with us. He is defending us. He is standing up for us. The word that is translated peace is this word shalom. And it's this Hebrew word. And uh, <clears throat> it means a lot of different things. Uh, we translate it as peace and that kind of oversimplifies simplifies the word. Because what it really means is a state of wholeness or completeness. Now, anybody that's ever done a puzzle... And maybe, you know, you, you don't do these 1,500-piece jigsaw puzzles or something like that. But maybe you've helped your children or grandchildren do a puzzle. And then what happens? You do the work in the puzzle, and there's that one piece missing, right? There's that one piece missing. And that is the last thing that you need to make everything complete. To make the puzzle whole, right? And that's what God's peace does for us. That's the meaning behind this Hebrew phrase, shalom. 
It's more than just a word. It's an ideal. And it, what it means is wholeness or completeness. Yes, it can mean it can mean physical peace. It can mean health and well-being. The Jews would often use it as a greeting or as a way of saying goodbye. And they would say shalom. And what they're saying is, I wish peace upon you. But what they're really saying is, I wish that in a perfect world, you will be whole and complete. And so that is exactly what we see going on here, is that when Jesus says the advocate's going to come and he's going to give you peace, well, the advocate comes and we're missing something. And that which we are missing is made full and complete by God's Spirit at work in our lives. Now, I'm not going to stand here and pretend that uh, that having uh, God's Spirit working in our lives means that our life is suddenly rosy. That our life is suddenly, uh, man, everything's just falling into place and everything's perfect. For crying out loud, we, you know, heard Jeff uh, make that announcement this morning about James McCoy. And I appreciate him being remembered in prayer this morning, his family. But that's an example. James is trying. Right, Vic? He's trying. He's trying to overcome addiction, and he is in that transitional house over in Jackson. And, uh, and then he gets this news that out of nowhere, a five-year-old child has a seizure and departs this world. We can all agree that is nothing short of tragic. And so I encourage you, uh, as you're remembering uh, families like the Tatum family uh, in the days ahead, but also remember James McCoy and his family. But we see in Scripture a number of people who were recipients of God's peace, or we see examples of Jesus demonstrating God's peace. Uh, one author writes, although most of the Jewish people expected that the Messiah would bring wrath and judgment to Rome, and all those who ruled harshly over Israel, the gospel shows us that God's desire for peace is the complete restoration of the entire world. Instead of waging war with any enemy nations, Jesus brought peace to the individual, sick and outcast members of society, such as the lepers in Luke 17, the man tormented by demons in Luke 8, and the hemorrhaging woman, as well as the prominent and respected like Jairus and his daughter, Jairus being the synagogue leader, that also in Luke 8. Jesus didn't remove all conflict from their lives. Let me say that again. He writes, Jesus didn't remove all conflict from their lives, but he did restore their hope by making them physically and spiritually whole again. 
In doing so, he revealed to them their father's individual care, whether they fully recognized it or not, as was the case for nine of the lepers who were healed but didn't return to Christ. And if you remember that story, Jesus sends them on their way and as they're walking to go see the priest because it was the priest who had to look at them and determine, yes, you were healed of your skin affliction. You are able to rejoin the community now. And as he's looking, at, as they're walking along, they start realizing, hey, look at this. Our skin's cleared up. This is amazing. And so nine of them now, you know, they're walking quicker. They can't get to the priest fast enough because they want to rejoin their community. They want to go back to their families. They want to go back to their jobs. Then there's that one, right, who says, wow, i got to go back and thank Jesus. I got to go back and give him the glory and the credit for what he did for us. And he goes back, and Jesus doesn't merely say, Hey, thanks for thinking of me. He says, Hey, what about the other nine? Weren't they healed as well? And so it's that reminder that God desires our praise for what he has done in our life, for carrying us through the deepest, darkest valleys, for getting us through the physical ailments. So Jesus doesn't remove all conflict from their lives, but makes them whole again. And so the gospel also also shows us that God would rather that we find rest in him then have us jump through a bunch of hoops to prove our love and devotion. Jesus brought peace to his disciples and followers by showing them that they didn't need to strive or stress in order to fulfill their purpose. When Martha complained that she was doing all the work as Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, Jesus tells her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. What's necessary, church? Jesus, right? And so the sister was right where she was supposed to be. So we know that Jesus' heart was peaceful when the disciples fretted over the need to feed thousands, not Jesus. He thanked God for the problem. The disciples shouted for fear in the storm, but not Jesus. He slept through it. Jesus' example reveals to us that we're not expected to solve all the problems and troubles that we face. Rather, we can find peace in them by bringing them to the Father and thanking Him for the opportunity to grow and the opportunity to trust in Him. And so that's what peace is. It doesn't mean that everything's perfect, y'all. But it means that there is, there is going to become uh, an understanding that there are going to be problems. Some of them can be solved. Some of them, the solution isn't as easy 
that there's going to be conflict that arises in our life, but that we can have wholeness and completeness that rises above the conflict in our lives. In church family, that comes by trusting God. That comes by receiving initially the good news of the gospel. Because that's what the definition of gospel is, right? Many of us have learned that since we were very young. That it simply means good news. What is this good news? That Jesus died for us, absolutely. But that there is more than just a benefit of eternity in heaven. There is a benefit to the here and now. There is a benefit to walking with Jesus every single day. That while some people are going to be stressed out and anxious, if we're trusting in the Lord, if we're letting the Advocate work on our behalf, then we can have a peace that rises above whatever conflict is in our lives. The conflict of financial struggles. The conflict of physical ailments and struggles. The conflict of struggles with relationships. The conflict of struggles that we can just keep on naming, right church? But that when we allow God to give us His peace, then we realize, no, the problems don't go away. We're just able to keep on functioning while the problems persist. And we're able to find completeness and wholeness. And sometimes, yes, even joy in the midst of the conflict. And so that to me, church, that is good news. What does the gospel give us? One of the things the gospel gives us is peace. And I praise God for that.